We're back like we never left. It's your boy. Yep, just me. No, I'm just kidding. We got Dan and Sean hanging out. Polly and Jordan, they are indisposed. I don't know if that's the correct word, but they are busy today. Um, but we were able to get two legends. Uh, Dan Lobax, the amazing graphic design artist for the Pod Network, along with a horror movie connoisseur. It's his season. It's spooky season. We wanted to get him on to talk Everything spooky, and we also have movie cinephile legend Sean Lester Durham. I probably fucked your last name up. I apologize. It's all the same. Sean, how the hell are you, sir? We'll start with you. Well, I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's middle. You know, the end towards the end of the the work week, and just trying to keep my sanity here. And hey, I'm well otherwise, so I cannot complain. Always great to join you guys. Always great to be in the presence of you, Kyle, and you, Dan. Um, such esteemed, high quality chaps as yourselves, and um, I'm, I'm blessed to be here. Thank you, thank you again for joining us, Sean. It's it's always a pleasure to have you, Dan. How the hell are you, sir? <laughs> you know, I'm 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 pretty good. I can't complain. You know, how do you follow up Sean's amazing intro? You like know, that? I don't and know. you're just like, eh, I'm cool. I'm good. It's, right. it's, like, it's like it's like everything he said. It just checked off everything i was gonna say so i'm like fuck. right <laughs> but no no i'm i'm good and and as you said man i'm like there's a lot of uh horror based stuff especially coming out tomorrow mm -hmm. um that we'll we'll talk about uh that's just really exciting it's a good time for horror so yeah absolutely yeah. and and october is my favorite time of year most people who know me know that and i really wanted i'm really excited about this episode um to start we are gonna get off uh pretty hot here we're gonna talk about the netflix hit Midnight Mass. Um, so what we're going to do for you, the folks who are listening in right now, we're going to do a spoiler-free uh, conversation. We're going to have an open dialogue with myself, Dan, and Sean. Uh, and then we are going to dictate um, when that spoiler discussion will begin. We don't want people to have that experience ruined. I, we, we think it's a, you know, a show that I, I believe everybody should watch. So I definitely want to avoid spoiling that for you. So with that, we're going to go into the spoiler-free um, conversation right. uh, dan i'm gonna kick it to you first i want to hear your thoughts and then sean i'll let you go next sounds good yeah for sure i'm actually looking forward to to sean's uh analysis as well because he's really well spoken with this stuff uh me not so much but i will say that um i just i enjoyed it you know like everything from the way this thing was shot to to the acting uh to the layers you know um it was just really it was really fun to to watch and you really didn't want to stop you know um the episodes went went quickly uh it was really thought-provoking you know last week i was talking to a friend of mine you know and, and i think not to get too deep but um you know especially in 2020 you know being locked in the house and going through everything you know you start to think of your own mortality and stuff like that and and kyle i know uh we talked about this and sean as well and this is not really a spoiler but in, in one of the episodes you know the whole uh, monologue of um you know, what happens when we die. And I sent that to my friend because he hasn't seen the show. And it was just so deep and so timely. And I feel like that was the entire series, you know. And for me, too, 
you know, I really like when things are shot, uh, you know, very dark and everything about this, even, you know, the daytime shots, the bright shots, everything just had a darkness to it. Um, and it just really added to the overall mystery. Um, you know, on top of that, when I watched it, I really didn't even know what it was about. You know, I knew that it was a darker, you know, themed show, but I didn't know if it was a horror show or a sci-fi or, or, or just a drama. So, um, you know, going through and getting that eerie vibe and then just watching how things unfold and watching how well this was acted and written, um, you know, it was just, it was enjoyable and it was a lot of fun, uh, horror wise. Uh, it was a lot more fun than I've had, you know, with, with recent stuff. Yeah, that was, that was beautifully said, Dan, uh, Sean, let me get your thoughts on the, on the show. Yeah, yeah. So I do actually agree with uh, Dan. Um, I, you know, to, to start off, um, just to follow up on top, the, the you know, the, the the cinematography and the performances are two aspects that stand out uh, with the show. Just before, just before we get anywhere else, before we get into the story, before we get into the directing, all that stuff, so on and so forth. The cinematography uh, and the, the performances of pretty much everybody um, uh, uh, on the cast are two aspects that immediately stand out. It was shot be uh, beautifully, uh, as as Dan noted. Um, I believe it was shot in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, That's correct. A, yes. A, a, yeah, on a seaside. And, and Vancouver, Vancouver is beautiful anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's beautiful. And so it was it was shot on a, on a seaside public area outside of Vancouver. I believe the um, Crockett Island is fake, though. I, I, from my understanding, they did build that set uh, mm -hmm. on that particular area of uh, Vancouver. They, they just they built that whole uh, town, Crockett Island, but it was beautiful. Uh, the, the way it was shot, uh, the way the angles were pitched, and and just to lead into that, this is what Mike Mike Flanagan. That Mike Mike Flanagan is the um, curator of uh, Midnight Mass, and I, I say curator because you know he does it all: writer, director, mm -hmm. producer. Uh, you know, cast his wife um, played the, one of the lead roles in in, in the, the actual series. Uh, Katie Segal, that's her name. Um, so. And and he did the same thing for his previous uh, his his previous productions. Um, Mike Fla uh, Mike Flanagan, if you're not aware, uh, uh, aware, he directed Doctor Sleep, which was incredibly done. Um, I thought it was an amazing entry into the now reinvigorated or rebirth of Stephen King's uh, publications. Now we're seeing a whole rebirth of Stephen King's uh, publications now. So um, he directed Doctor Sleep. Uh, which um, which is a quote unquote follow up of of the um, uh, the Jack Nicholson movie um, uh, a few years ago and the name escapes me but the shining um, the shining, the shining. Yeah. The shining. <laughs> yeah it's a follow up on the shining and it was incredibly done um, I I mean damn near perfect um, hush she did um, where his wife I believe was in the main uh, role where she played a, a deaf woman in a room in the middle of the woods in a cabin and someone breaking in and she she basically uh, did her thing in that film oculus before i wake yada 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 so on and so forth but the two previous uh publications or productions that he done that pretty much got uh rave reviews have been netflix productions uh haunting of hill house and haunting of blind manor i don't know if the audience have had a chance to actually jump on those yet but you might want to jump on that because mike flanagan is putting his foot into this genre pretty heavily and he's 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 going hard right now so if you had a chance to to, to check out the haunting of hill house or the haunting of blind manor do it um these are amazing productions in every way uh slow burners 
they're not mm-hmm. going to they're not going to grab you right off up so uh, off the gate. So just take your time with them. Um, just set some time apart to uh, stream them or binge them. You know, pop an edible, whatever. If that's if that's your thing, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, and it's, it'll take you there. It, it'll take you there. By the time you you're finished with the uh, productions, man, you're going to be fulfilled. That's what I was when I uh, finished uh, um, a Midnight Mass. Um, I think it's pretty clear now who and what Mike Flanagan is. He's a mm-hmm. breath, in my opinion, a breath of fresh air injected into the horror genre. He's creative and a risk taker. Um, he, he facilitates masterful and creative plots and stories and centers them around incredibly crafted jump scares, which is important. Your writing can be amazing. Uh, you could be an amazing creator in a horror genre. But if you don't have jump scares, uh, what are you doing? You know, you might as well you, you might as well be, just be writing a drama or something like that. Yeah, this standing uh, you know. absolutely. Yeah, you know, so nothing about what he does feel antiquated or outdated in a way. There's always some inspiration that pokes his head out of any lead creator's work, but nothing I see from him feels copied, quote unquote, mm. copied, so mm-hmm. to speak. Of course, he's. It, it, I can't speak for Mike Flanagan, but it, he'll probably tell you that somebody inspired him, so on and so forth. I don't see where he copied anyone. I, I see a breath of fresh air. Um, Midnight Mass wasn't just scary. It was kind of incredibly highbrow writing with maybe a critical religious undertone. Mm. Um, and again, we're not going to get too far into that right now. I don't know what was in Mike Flanagan's head. And I don't want to get too far off into the religion aspect here in the in the non-spoiler version here. But the themes seem relatively clear. <laughs> yeah. As, as yeah. humans, we are starved for meaning of life. We're, we're so starved for this religious covering from our creators that we'd fall in line and follow anybody as long as as long as they can quote unquote show miracles you know yeah um and i i just think that he did a, an incredible job of of navigating around this delicately at first and then just jumping head first into it by the final three episodes um and and just moving everything out the way and just pushing his weight into it so yeah uh, I, I think this speaks to who mike flanagan is and who he who he has always been and who he's becoming, like I, I, he, you know, we'll we'll talk later. But he does have uh, another production with Netflix on the docket already, um, and that one sounds amazing. Yeah. Just as amazing as Midnight Mass. Yeah, I, I'm, a, you know, Sean, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up his his previous works, right? So I'm, I've actually, you know, was first introduced uh, to Mike Flanagan with the uh, Haunting of Hill House, which um, I thought was a generally. Uh, a genuinely gripping horror show, right? It was, it was genuinely scary um, start to finish. And I think what happened in that show for me that kind of docked it a few points is I think the pacing. Um, I think when we got towards uh, the final couple of episodes, it kind of lost that luster because they, they sort of, um, I guess, popped the cherry too soon in terms of horror, right? Like they, they brought out the big twist. They brought out that stuff uh, very early and like the, not even the midway point, I think it was just too, too soon. And then it kind of, um, coasted um, to the end. But this is why I want to talk about that because I think the maturity of his directing and writing was on display here in, in Midnight Mass. I think right. yeah. uh, he really nailed the pacing. Um, he nailed the intrigue, the 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 tones, and, and made you want to keep watching it. And then by also understanding what he was trying to do with this, with this I almost say film every time because of the way it's just, the way it's shot is almost like, seven feature length films right or if you put this together in one uh one film it's it will go start to finish 
for seven hours and you'll be like, wow, that's one of the most incredible pieces of film. And right. I understand why it was put into a show, right? There's so much detail that goes into each episode. There's so many valuable pieces of dialogue and we'll, we'll get into that really as we, as we go into the yeah. spoiler free review, but our spoiler review, excuse me. Uh, but to me, it was just, it's a must watch, right? I right. think, I think if you are, are into horror or you're into a show that um, really will make you think, right. I think it's, I absolutely think it's a must watch. And, and, you know, I watched it on my own. My girlfriend did not. Right. But she kept coming in while there were scenes where they were just so powerfully acted. Right. And she, she was gripped. She was moved by it. Right? She said like literally would stop what she was doing, watch what was happening on screen. And then just be like, wow. You know? And I think the, uh, the performances in this movie of a show, uh, I did it again, movie, um, <laughs> this show were just um, incredible. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like potential Oscar talk right around some of these actors in, in when we get to those, get to that time. Cause again, I don't want to get into the, the names of the character, but specifically the priest, right? I, I thought that yeah. was probably one of the best acting performances I've seen um, in a while. It's just, but yeah. So for me, must watch. I think if you, if you have the chance to, to, you know, donate seven hours of your time to Netflix's streaming service. I recommend watching the seven, seven, seven episodes long, uh, but a yep. must watch, must watch in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, just to, to piggyback on what Sean said about, you know, who Mike Flanagan is, um, you know, I, I did, you know, when you watch shows like this, you kind of go down the rabbit hole of, of reading articles and watching YouTube videos and stuff like that because mm -hmm. it's so thought provoking. You want to hear all angles, right? So, you know, I did uh, read a lot of interviews with Mike Flanagan about this. And, you know, this was his this was his baby. You know, he had this written but couldn't finish it, apparently, for a really long time. And actually, Hush, which is the first Mike Flanagan, um, you know, piece, if you will, that I've, I've ever seen, uh, which I didn't know it was his at the time. Neither, um, neither, but, to be honest with you. His wife, uh, Katie Segal, who plays um, the lead, she was writing a book called Midnight Mass. Right. And there's another production in that he has where he worked Midnight Mass uh, as a book into the movie. Um, so, I mean, this is something he's been carrying for quite some time. And when we get into, you know, more of the undertones, you know, some of the stuff he says about, um, you know, how he views religion, um, you know, if it isn't evident in the show, you know, he talks a lot about that as well. Yeah. And, and just to, to follow up on Dan's point, I, I have not read a single word on, on what Mike Flanagan feels or how he feels about religion. I have not. Um, I'm just going to speculate <laughs> on, on what I, I believe how he feels. And I'll go back and circle back around. And I'm not going to speculate uh, from a uh, from an ignorant uh, standpoint, meaning I'm not going to type his words or try to speak for him. I'm going to do it as an exercise. Because if you watch, and, and again, it's, we're not going to get too, too much into the sport, but if you watch this, it, it's kind of evident. Mm -hmm. what he's what he's trying to say here i mean it, it really is and I'll, I'll get into that i'll get into that later but just to, to go, circle back around on, on what kyle was saying pacing it is, it is important yes and i do remember um around the time when um hill house dropped uh the pacing on hunting of hill house was one of the critiques he had to deal with on that show and it felt like he took that critique and kind of shaped it and molded it and accepted it and corrected it so to speak which is why i believe he's developing as a creator uh mm -hmm. slash creative etc et and that's what you want especially in the horror genre now it, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, delegated to the horror genre it could be any genre uh at all because i take issue with a lot of directors out here who aren't developing like uh, a few of them that have been my favorite uh you know for quite a while yeah directors like michael bay antoine fuqua ridley scott these are all of 
some of my favorite all-time directors, but when you watch their movies now, it's all the same thing. There's no development. There's no growth, you know, especially with Antoine and Michael Bay, namely. Ridley, you can probably you could probably have a debate on that and say, well, you know, he got better this and so on and so forth. But it just kind of feels like everything after Gladiator with Ridley was just the same thing. I, you know, and he's so interested in pull, putting out more quantity than quality now. Um, maybe he's just has has a crisis going on in his mind where he just feels as though he has to put as much out as possible to leave his art behind because you know he probably is still suffering from uh the effects of losing tony scott his brother uh years ago and so you know and he probably felt tony scott had a lot to give before he he passed away so when you look at directors who who and, and creators who, who don't actually develop so on and so forth you 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 start to look at the things that they put out and you, and you start to appreciate people like Mike Flanagan and how it's clear that he is doing develop. He, he's developing as a creative. He's developing as a writer, as a, as a filmmaker, so on and so forth. Like you can actually see development from Dr. Sleep to Midnight Mass. It's not even hard to see it. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> like how, the growth that this man has from that to that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So with that, with that, Sean, that was well said, by the way. And I really want to get into the spoiler review. So uh, for those listening, uh, we are going to give you a couple seconds here, and then we're going to dive right into the spoilers. I, I'm going to go ahead and um, kick this one off if you guys don't mind. So let's just uh, hang tight here. And all right, now we're doing spoilers. So um, to really start off, I, I, I thought this show, um, the first two to three episodes, right. Where they're setting up everything and, and Riley's introduced and, and, and it starts off with, you know, the murder of, uh, of a young woman. You're kind of, you know, you're puzzled. You're like, I, I, cause I went into the show, not knowing what I was expecting, not knowing what it was going to be. I knew it was going to be, I saw Mike Flanagan and I said, Oh, this is probably going to be a, a level of horror. Now those first three episodes, um, I think were, were, you know, very slow, right. There were slow burns. Uh, and we talked about that a, a, a few times where they, um, Definitely we're leading up to something. Now, <laughs> the back half of this show is in it's a it's a roller coaster, right? So like we're we're the first three episodes I consider the the uh going up, right? You're going up, you're going up, and then as soon as episode four hits, it is just a, a breakneck speed from there on. And that's that's why I thought Mike Flanagan's pacing on this show was just impeccable because these these last couple episodes that I've been watching, they are just they just flew by because it was just in, it's intense, it's gripping. Um, we find out, you know, Father uh, John, Father John, I guess as they call him in the episode, is really Monsignor Pruitt the whole time. Um, and then when Riley is converted um, to, I don't even know what to call him. I've been calling him vampires. That's what I've been kind of uh, speaking about. And then what I really appreciated about this show is that they kind of reveal the science behind it, right? And they, in episode six, um, they kind of talk about why the blood is the way it is um, and, and how it's healing people, how it has those properties. And I, I thought that was, um, you know, if you've ever seen a vampire show, right? They're just kind of like, oh, it's because I'm a vampire, right? Like, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I really, and Dan, you know, Vampire Diaries does that. So that that's that's, that's literally, uh, literally on downstairs right now. I love that. And that, that's exactly what they did in Vampire Diaries. It's just like, ah, oh, my blood is super healing. Don't explain it. They don't explain why. Ah, but I got the power. Right. But that, but I right. love And then in this show is that they, they, they give you a why for everything. Um, they give you a reason. 
Um, and then the other thing that I, I, I want to talk about is the undertones of religion, right? And and, right. and I think personally in this show, they, they kind of show religion as a mask uh, for people with issues and dealing with issues because a lot of crazy shit happens in this town uh, from start to finish. And they just say, "Oh, it's a miracle! It's a miracle!" Right? right? Um, and I, I, I think that is 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 kind of key to society nowadays, right? Where we, we just kind of use, you know, religion as a mask, and we use it as a and a reason to explain the unexplainable. Um, but then Mike Flanagan doesn't stop there, and he explains the unexplainable throughout the remainder of the series. So um, it just you know blew my mind with it. I guess they call it an angel, right? Um, I, I don't even remember what the actual thing is, to be honest with you. But it, well, that's a great question. That's that's and, and see, a really good question. Yeah, and 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 I'm glad he left it up to our interpretation. By the yeah, way. Um, I I thought it was a vampire, really, like I you know an ancient vampire, something like that, right? Uh, but the way the way it was um, all constructed through Monsignor Pruitt, he was kind of the catalyst for everything, and um, and then the show leading up to the Midnight Mass, right? It's 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 just a fantastic um, cinematography acting throughout and Riley's uh, you know when Riley and 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 um, uh, I can't remember the main Aaron Aaron uh, were speaking about death right Dan and you and I had that we had a conversation right. separately and we were just that was like one of the deepest moments right where they were talking about um, what do you think happens when you die and then right. Riley goes into this probably three minute monologue yep. um, just talking about the just deeply and profoundly where he's explaining, you know, the, the rush of the, uh, I think it's called DMT, right? Where it goes, you get that rush and then all you're seeing is euphoric dreams. And that's the last thing you see before it all fades to black. And I was just like, Holy shit. Right, right. It was impactful. Right. Uh, when I heard that yeah. all the way leading up to Riley's death in episode five, which I thought was just very bold right. to just, he was a main character. He was the focal point of this show. Um, and he was dealing with his demons of, of constantly seeing that drunk girl when he was going to sleep. Right. right. Um, I thought that was incredibly powerful too. It made it was very unsettling. Um, and you knew the scene was coming too, whenever he laid down in bed and then it started to pan sideways right. and then you, you saw, then you saw the flashing lights and he was consistently reliving that dream. And then when he was given the gift of, I guess, vampirism, right. Or whatever you want to call it. Um, he didn't want it. He was just like, I'm, you know, and then he basically committed suicide in front of Aaron in, in a boat. Like, it, it altered her life path. Right? It, it, it's very intense. And, uh, and, and um, Sean, I'll, I'll let you go first. Um, but it, I really want to hear your thoughts on basically your spoiler, spoiler filled thoughts on this show and, yeah. and, and, and everything. It, just to, the, the first thing touch on that, uh, on that scene there in the boat, I, I, you know, it was such an impactful scene in every way. It was unexpected. Yeah. Um, definitely unpredictable. Um, I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, I could not, you know, I did not foresee him doing that, but I understood after he finished talking to him, like, hey, I'm not, I didn't bring you out here to hurt you. I didn't bring you out here to scare yeah. you. Um, but after it all happened, that little glimpse there, that little moment of tranquility where he is holding hands with the girl that he hit with the, the girl that he hit uh, and killed that in the boat, that little mm -hmm. moment where it, it seems as though, well, he's going to be okay. You know, he's, he's all right. He just, he's seeing this girl and she's reaching her hand out to him. She's smiling. And, you know, it's some sort of moment where I guess it's like a forgiveness moment or maybe come, come with me moment, something along those lines. And he reaches his hands out to her and 
boom, it just cuts to his ass being cooked. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's just it's just so creative, man. It's mm-hmm. just so so unexpected. It's just it's just filmmaking at its grandiose, at, at its best. And it's in a circle back around on what you said as far as the religious aspect and, and it's something I, I mentioned earlier. Um, it the, the the religious theme to me seems relatively clear in the show. Um, I could be wrong. I want to speak for Mike Flanagan. I'm open to debate, so on and so forth. But to me, it it seems relatively clear. As he what it is said to me was as as humans, we are so starved for for meaning of life. We're so starved for those for this religious coverings, so to speak, from our creators that. We'd fall in line and follow anybody as long as they can show those miracles, as I said before. As you as you know, the, the quote unquote miracle in this film stems from historic hard concepts by way of vampires. But but we accept them by any way because we are so starved as as a human race. We we search for meaning, we search for answers, and whatever comes along, whether it be something of fantastical origin, like Midnight Mass, or if it's a shady pastor, community leader, et cetera, et cetera, as long as we see some form of leadership, we'll gravitate towards them despite our own demise approaching. We'll we'll walk towards a cliff with jagged rocks underneath without a care in the world as long as we, quote unquote, trust what we're walking towards. In, in, in this series, this this creature, this creature saw this this man's face. The uh, uh, father of uh, uh, the father that went to the was it Damascus? Um, he saw his man's face while he was dying after he bit him. And this creature saw a moment he could become that quote unquote being or entity that comes forward to guide in in a manipulative fashion due to his own monstrous greed, of course, g- guide him and anyone else these people where he wanted them to go, which in this case was likely. You know, not sound too cliche, but yeah, world dominated by creatures such as himself. That I mean, <laughs> that that had to be his end goal, right? Or the, the 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 creature's end goal, just a world dominated by creatures like himself. And that that's you know that's what I saw. That's what it felt like. Um, it's centered around an amazing story that not everyone will appreciate for their own reasons and purposes. But when we ask for creative and fresh ideas in in, in the horror genre. You know, it will sometimes come with controversy and heated discourse because what is pushing the boundary of art, if not causing some sort of discourse? Like, I mean, what is it? What, what, what's the purpose of it? And, you know, I I, I believe um, it, and, and I think Mike Flanagan tweeted um, a few weeks ago that that monologue that you're referring to as far as death is concerned. Um, that was all him. That was all his writing. Um, and, and I love to see that, man. I love to see filmmakers who actually write uh, their own their own words and and put it on screen, especially when the words are so impactful like that. And yeah, it, it, it was it was definitely good to see. Um, I, I it's hard to say if it was a vampire. But as I said, as I said before, I'm glad he left that up to the uh, our interpretation and, and for us to decide what it was. It's clear that it was in the vampire family. That's all that mm-hmm. matters. Um, and, and but obviously this it, it wasn't just a vampire. It, it was a powerful creature, so to speak. And it was it had had intellect. Um, had intelligence. Um, it it knew what to do. It it again. It 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 had its own um, it had its own goals where it just wanted domination. It wanted to take over this time. It wanted to get everybody to become just like him and or it. And yeah, it, it's. I'm glad he left that part up to us. And and that, that that's a part that I I, I appreciate. 
Yeah, it's always that, that's always a risk when it's like creatively, right? When you don't explain um, those like types of creatures that are the main antagonist. I guess I guess Monsignor Pruitt is considered the main antagonist throughout the the, the show, but uh, when you leave that kind of otherworldly being up to the mystery of the the um, the I guess the audience, right? That's always a I think that's a creative risk, but in this show, it just genuinely pays off, in my opinion. Right. Um, Dan, really want to hear yeah. your uh, spoiler filled thoughts, sir. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot. Uh, let's see here. I, I do want to say that Matt Saracen, uh, aka Zach Guilford, you know, he's he's a uh, from everything I've seen of you know him in, he's kind of like a one note actor. Um, and he was my favorite part. Well, my second favorite part of this series. I thought that you know, like you said, his monologue was um, it was just so awesome. You know, and I didn't expect that kind of performance out of him. Um, so that was cool to watch, but you know, I want to of- real quick want to point on uh, like add on top of that, right? And I, I really think we should really appreciate Matt, Matt Sorensen on this one, because um, I you know going from Friday Night Lights to this uh, to this acting kind of uh, role, the whole movie you saw he carried a burden, and I think or show sorry he carried this burden in his soul, and I think he acted that so well, and I really appreciate you bringing that up. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. No, no, for sure. And yeah, that's one of the reasons why I was like hooked because I saw him in it and, you know, I, I love Friday Night Life. But anyway, um, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I took away from this and, uh, you know, it's it's a conversation. And again, I don't want to get too deep into this. Um, you know, these are just all, you know, beliefs, um, personal beliefs. But, you know, I've, I've had so many conversations during this year or this past year, I should say, you know, about you know, extremism and, you know, this fanatical behavior when it comes to, you know, whether it be politics or, or faith or, or religion or something of that nature, because right. you see it a lot. And, you know, this was a really good example of how, you know, Mike Flanagan, um, and I didn't read this from him, but uh, this part at least, but, you know, what I would assume, you know, he's using religion as a mirror for these characters, right? Like religion is only as good uh, or bad as, you know, the person who is taking part in it. And I think a great example of that, you know, was Bev Keen in the show. You know, she was a terrible person. You know, right. she killed she killed the dog. You know, she, you know, all the stuff she did to the town in the past. Um, and she twisted and, and used her religion to justify her, her heinous actions, right? Um, you know, on the flip side, you see Riley who was tortured inside and found this redemption. And instead of, you know, kind of giving into this behavior and turning into something that he didn't want to want to be, he let himself burn on fire while also warning, um, you know, uh, Aaron that this was happening. So she would believe it and ultimately could uh, possibly, you know, kill the vampire or, you know, so yeah. Yeah. So I I mean, I, I really do, I think it was just, you know, shining a light on on religion and how, you know, this fanatical behavior, if you choose to use it that way, can be, um, you know, pretty awful. And it was very relatable to, to the Jonestown stuff. I know that came up, you know, when I was looking through this a lot, you know, where where there's just not a happy ending when when this stuff happens. And I thought, you know, Mike Flanagan really um, put that on screen perfectly. Like this whole the whole vibe of the show is sad. You were never like happy at any point and you knew this was going to end bad. And, you know, that's usually what happens. And another scene, I'm sorry to go on about this, but 
um, you know, in the classroom where the sheriff and, and Bev Keen are arguing about, you know, religions, you know, religions are, are, are one in the same. They all have the same God. It's just a matter of how you look at it. And, and Bev Keen, you know, basically just being so hypocritical in that scene was so telling of the, the type of person she was and how she twisted her faith. And I thought that was a nice microcosm of what Flanagan was trying to kind of tell us throughout. So I do have a question for both of you, and, and I'm curious because uh, I, I, it's something that Dan just mentioned um, a, few, a few minutes ago when he mentioned that, um, you know, when we're looking at these things um, as, as far as, you know, not just from a horror standpoint, but, you know, just following anyone, you know, uh, and the and the, the political aspect of it as well, too. Um, I, I mentioned something a, a, a few minutes ago where I said that, you know, um, because we're so starved, we'll fall in line and follow anybody as long as they can show us what we want them to show. Um, that is a heavy theme in this series. Either one of you believe that what we witnessed politically in this country over the past five years played any part of Mike Flanagan's. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, mean, I know. I, you I know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't want to turn it upside down like that. But do you think in any way if 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 he was inspired by what we witnessed here in this country over the past five years? Because make no mistakes about it. This is the first time we've ever it, at least in my adult lifetime, maybe before a little bit before we witnessed anything like this, this hardcore uh, as to far as far as what we saw coming out of the White House the past four years. Um, that's not to say one political party is, is, is better than the other. I, I'm just saying what we saw with our own eyes leading mm -hmm. up to January 6th of last year. Yeah. Um, meaning I'll fall in line. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. As long as you show me what I need you to show me, I'll even storm the Capitol for you, so on and so forth. And we kind of saw what what we kind of saw this concept in the last few episodes where, uh, like you said, the, the lady responsible for, you know, quote unquote, controlling the town and, and all the horror she was willing to do the way she just tried to. Uh, make sense of everything and, and accept everything and justify everything, you know, the, the killing of the dog, the, you know, the, the accepting what was happening, even though it was clear what was happening was carnage. You know, if you look around, everything around them that was happening was clear carnage. And she was she was accepting it and she got everyone else in line. They accepted it. They fell in line. Boom. There yeah. And, I, and on top of that, Sean, too, that that character that you're talking about, if you want to draw these parallels, when everybody else is drinking the poison, she hid in the back and didn't take it. And then she was also lecturing a bunch of people talking about how they need to sacrifice themselves for the greater good. Mm. And then and then and then when she sees that the house is or that the uh, the center is burning and they have no shelter, she, you know, is digging a hole like crazy Dies. so that she doesn't so that she doesn't die. You know right, what I mean? Like, right. like the hypocrisy within her, you know, started to come out when when she couldn't manipulate her fate and the people that uh, looked up to her in that regard. So the parallels are, are kind of striking. I, I they are. And, uh, and that's a good point. That's when you, when you mentioned uh, from a political standpoint that it, it just hit me right there, just from everything that we witnessed, man. It's just, I wonder. And, and, and I, I, again, I have to let Mike Flanagan speak for his own inspiration. Maybe that will come out. It, it just seems too easy, you know, like, 
Um, he didn't want to draw too many close parallels, but it's hard not to when it's just when we witness what we witness in this country over the past uh, few years, so on and so forth. But yeah, Kyle, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there, Sean. I, I definitely think there's um, a dialogue to be spoken about the underlying themes overall about um, I, I want to I guess cult leadership, right, or or believing in something um, to help. Uh, guide you, I guess, or or you're starved for something to explain the unexplained, right? I think I think a lot of that, a lot of this show really dives into that, and yeah, I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head with what we've seen um, the last five years, and it 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 just makes a lot of sense that he could be inspired by what what he saw, where you had the masses uh, almost look like they were either brainwashed or right. or or just. Exactly. I don't know how to describe it other than in like it, it almost felt like a brainwashing of it's, sorts. It's, it's hard not to. I mean, I don't care if you have a brain in your head. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to see what we saw on January 6th of last year and not draw parallels. It's just not, man. I'm yeah. just sorry, man. Like yeah. the madness, the insanity, even the stuff that's still that's still coming out today, the justifying it uh, by certain people. It's hard, man. It's just hard not to draw parallels, and I don't want to get too political with it. But man, it's just like you got a brain in your head. How do you not equate those two things? Like, how do you not? So, no, I, I, I completely agree. And and uh, I I think um I think you're I think you got you got some great points, both of you, honestly, guys. And I think this has been an incredible uh, topic to touch on, and I hope the viewers really loved this segment as well. Um, now we're gonna go from midnight ass to potentially uh, midnight ass question mark uh we're talking about halloween kills um and everyone knows in horror movies there's some random teens having sex for some reason <laughs> so um the fellas as you know halloween kills comes out um i think halloween or the 29th correct or tomorrow it comes out tomorrow tomorrow oh yeah, my yeah, god tomorrow. i'm so lost no. All right, so October 15th, Halloween Kills is in theaters. By the time you guys hear it, it is in theaters. Um, fellas, I um, I, I want to give my thoughts on the original or the reboot of Halloween. I had I had a chance to finally see it uh, last year when I was going through my horror binge uh, kick that I normally do around Halloween. And, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think the reboot was fantastic. Um, I think it was exciting cinema. I think it was um, a thrilling horror show, horror movie, I guess, um, really captured the essence of the first Halloween movie. Um, and it really, it, it, it had a lot of gruesome uh, scenes, a lot of gruesome kills, uh, very unsettling as well. And that's why I'm genuinely uh, thrilled uh, for this, this next movie. And, and, and I probably won't see it uh, right away, but because I still have to go see James Bond, I know you guys can you guys can yell at me later, but uh, it's fun. definitely it's definitely on my list, right? So, um, Dan, I know you're the big horror buff, right? I want to hear your thoughts on Halloween Kills. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, first to start with the I think the 2018, right? 2018 um, right. reboot. Uh, you know, I have mixed feelings on it. Um, you know, I, I, I've watched it a couple times. I don't know if it's just like a stale thing for me in terms of, of where they go. Um, I thought the realism factor that they were trying to push um, worked to an extent. And then with this kind of thing, you have to dive into the unrealistic. And I thought it went a little too quickly, um, in my opinion. But for Halloween Kills, we know that there's, there's three of these, right? There's going to be another one. Um, and I was joking around with Jordan um, in talking about this uh, – before the spaces last week um, that, and we should have another one for Halloween kills by the way, but 
uh, it, it's funny to me that in every one of these movies, you know, it's the trailer is basically, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis saying evil dies tonight when obviously we know it's not going to. <laughs> right. So, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's like the same thing. And, you know, I am like judging by the trailer. I'm really curious to see um, this idea because it looks like the town has had enough shit and they're kind of like all mobbing together, like Freddy Krueger style to, right. to get Michael Myers. And um, I think that would be the smart play if that ever happened in real right. life. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see how they do this. I thought Danny McBride um, and David Allen Green really incorporated some good humor in the 2018 one. So I'm curious to see if they kind of go the same way uh, with Halloween Kills. But I mean, nonetheless, or, you know, it's still a Michael Myers movie, so I'm still jacked up for it. Uh, yeah. But where that sits in my hierarchy of Halloween movies um, remains to be seen, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to take a while to determine that. I mean, as you said, the 2018 re-entry uh, into that franchise, it was it was not only a commercial success, but it was a critical critical success as well, too. Like, I believe right now it's sitting at like 80 plus at on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, everybody loved it. Um I mean, you watched it, and, and and it's and it's just not a success. Not just on not not on paper. It passed the eye test. You watched it, and you forget about any of the previous failed Halloween sequels that preceded it. Um, as you mentioned, David Gordon Green, um, he kind of comes from the mode of the uh, reminds me a little bit of the Russo brothers trajectory, so to speak. Meaning, before the, the 2018 Halloween film, he was a really good comedy creative, uh, comedy director, um, even uh, drama as well too. Uh, namely, Pineapple Express and Your Highness are two of, of David Gordon Green's um, comedy films, um, along with a few solid uh, drama entries into his resume, like Joe with Nick Cage and Snow Angels and Stronger, so on and so forth. So 2018 was kind of the first foray for him into um, horror, and he nailed it. He, he simply jumped headfirst into reinvigorating the Halloween franchise, and it was a successful decision. Um, like I said, like Dan said, I'm expecting this film to be as good <laughs> as the 2018 entry. Um, I the, <clears throat> like Dan said the, the the plot itself, the concept itself, as far as the the town quote unquote being fed up with Michael Myers and teaming together to go after Michael Myers, you know this shit is gonna be badass, man. You know some funny ass shit is is gonna come out of here. Um, you know it's it's gonna be hardcore. You know Michael Myers is not going to go down. I don't care if it's the whole town or not. It does not matter. People are going to die, and, and, and it's going to be a little bit creative. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting this to be as good as the 2018 entry, but I am hoping to see a little bit more. I'm hoping to see some growth. As, as I said before, I'm hoping to see something a bit different. Um, I love the way – I love the jump scares in the 2018 entry. I love – the uh the, the way the angles were shifted the, the camera movements um i i love the as the aspect of making michael myers you know intelligence even though he's, he's like freaking the walking dead you know at this point um and it's just like you know i love all that i, I love how you incorporate all of that I, you know i already know for a fact that there's another entry supposedly dropping next year so um obviously this kind of means that this film that drops tomorrow may end with the cliffhanger i don't know um, yeah i was trying to think that too like because it could be like season of the witch where he's not even in it you know right. so maybe the third one might be something like that because the only reason i say that is because the film is coming up so close to this one like it's due to be released in 2022 which kind of leads me to believe they filmed this it all together uh they filmed one big entire film like 
kind of like uh, Dennis did with Dune uh, and Lord of the Rings, so on and so forth. And they just cut it up. So I, I kind of, it kind of feels like this film is going to probably not end the way we want, wanted to or we like, so on and so forth. But we probably can respect it because there's a short, there's a, there's a short time frame between this one and the next entry, which is 2022. So um, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm absolutely excited about it. I'm stoked about it. Um, you know, the, go ahead, go ahead, Cal. Uh, I actually wanted to, uh, you know, kind of talk a little bit about how you guys think about the plot potentially moving away from, I, I don't know if it's going to kind of, um, I guess, move away from horror, right? Where it kind of feels like Michael Myers versus the world, or, or you think this could be creative enough that they can capture both the horror element and kind of the, the badassery element of Michael Myers in a way. I think that's the way you have to challenge yourself as far as the screenplay is concerned. As soon as you finish that 2018 version, David going green has to challenge himself. You can't you can't, you can't give us the same film um, or what are you wasting your time for? And this is something I'll go into with Scream, by the way, uh, when, we, when we discuss Scream. You can't give us the same film you gave us in 2018. So I, I absolutely believe. I mean, I love the, the initial concept itself where the town, you know, town says enough is enough. That alone in itself is is enough for an ama amazing concept uh, in, in a horror film because it it opens so many doors. Like it does so many things. You can have somebody in a town who doesn't want Michael Myers to be killed and they can sabotage the entire, you don't know. It can, it's so many things that you can do with a concept like that, that I, I'm, I'm appreciative that they did it this way. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm expecting something different. Um, and uh, again, what leads me to believe that we will get something a little bit creative and a little bit different is the fact that again we have another entry that's dropping next you know next year so that's that's kind of that's, that's kind of hopeful there yeah and you know sean to that point and and by the way david gordon green my apologies if you're listening david gordon green i'm sure you're not but i hope so <laughs> um um you know i kind of wish in 2018 they had another storyline they were building there with the doctor you know the the doctor who actually like let him out I believe, you know, and, and they really, I feel like they buried that too quickly. And, you know, I mean, cause you could see that in this where, 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 you know, some people uh, maybe don't want to, you know, let Michael Myers go. And that leads me to the a question I wanted to ask you guys, which is a really interesting one. And, and if this actually comes to fruition within the movie, I'm going to be stoked, but you know, Michael Myers has a cult following in the movie. It would be awesome if, I you, was... if he did. And yeah, so it's like, what would be, <laughs> yeah, what would be your perfect, you know, ending to this franchise? Because would you really want to see Michael Myers put down or, or, you know, like what, what would be the, the most fitting ending for you guys? And, and, and that's why I said what I said earlier when I said, when you have this concept where you have the whole town against some, it just sounds too easy. When, when you have a whole town against some, a, a, a bad guy, the, the, the odds are supposedly in the favor of the town, is it not? I mean, you got the town, you got the police, you got whatever, you got the, you know, everybody who, who's, we're sick, of, we're sick of everything, we're sick of this. We want to kill Michael Myers, the whole town, let's band together. Obviously, the, the odds should be in the town's favor, should it not? So, obviously, the, the odds won't be in the town's favor for some particular reason. And that makes sense, Dan. Your point makes sense. It makes sense that, that yeah. There, there should be some type of national, not just, not just a local not 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 just a local. There, there should be some type of national cult following of Michael Myers that come nationally into this town to even the odds, so to speak. That right there would blow shit up. That that'll blow this thing wide open. That'll blow the script wide open. 
that that'll keep us on the edge of our seat, so on and so forth. And yeah, I'll be stoked if that's something that's an aspect that that is introducing this uh, film. But the thing is, I, I don't know if it is. But here's here's what I do know. I do know that something has to even the odds here when you have something like this that's so unbalanced when you have a whole town that is fed up against someone uh like michael myers something has to be introduced to even the balance yeah you don't know. and, and i think yeah dan i think you're gonna say the same thing i apologize but i, I definitely think there's gonna be potentially a, a group of cultists um and that's going to be the uh kind of the equalizer right there's going to be a band of people that are pro michael myers right and they're going to band up against kind of unify with him and then i think maybe the final film is kind of an all-out war uh potentially between the cultists and uh michael myers is leading leading the charge right dan what were you gonna yeah. say no and i was gonna say not not to mention if you don't have uh anything to even the score you're basically making friday the origin story of, of uh, not, uh, nightmare on elm street right because that's basically how Freddy Krueger became Freddy Krueger. Right. So, you know what I mean? And I don't think, I don't yeah, think they would he's throw right. it that way. He's right. An angry mob going, you know, going after Michael Myers, you know, eventually killing them, so on and so forth. doesn't make for a good film. It doesn't make it. it I mean, we don't, we don't need that. Um, it's not a good follow up to the 2018 uh, entry. Um, I can understand why we would be stoked to understand that the town is fed up. Yeah, they should be fed up. He's been terrorizing them for decades. So, yeah, I understand that. Um, but again, we know it's not it's not going to be easy. And, and we would appreciate some type of um, extra creativity or life pumped into this franchise. And yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what it is. And uh, once we once we see it and digest it, I'm happy to you know revisit this when we can. So before we move on to Scream, I have a, I have a question for you guys. What if this film is shot in the perspective of Michael Myers and it's basically the horror is him trying to navigate people randomly, you know, trying to gang up like similar to how Michael Myers stalked his prey. What if it's like the, from the perspective of Michael Myers um, being stalked, right? Like how would that, how would you guys feel about that? Not good, right? I would not no, like that. No, it's because it kind of makes him the antagonist a little bit, you know, you know, so to speak um, in an inadvertent sort of way, you know, in an unorthodox sort of way, make him the antagonist. I don't, I don't want that. He's, he's done too much killing of it. You know, he has to go. Michael has to go. You know, I, I don't want to sympathize with Michael in any way. I don't want, don't, 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 no sleight of hand stuff. Don't, none of that stuff. I, it's kind of what happened with, uh, don't breathe too. You know, you, this, this, you know, this guy, you know, he, you know, he's a rapist. He's, he assaulted this, you know, this girl and, and, and don't breathe too. They try to make this guy out to be the antagonist, you know, and try to make us feel, you know, I, 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 no, I'm not with that. You know, I'm yeah, not, yeah. Also, I, yeah. Also, yeah. John Carpenter wouldn't have, John Carpenter's involved in this. And, you know, John Carpenter did not like, from an interview I saw at least, did not like Rob Zombie's Halloween and was very critical of it. You know, first of all, because of the size, which I always said was, it was ridiculous, but uh, the size of Michael Myers, he turned into a pro wrestler. Um, but also, uh, the fact that Michael had a backstory and you could sympathize with him. And to John Carpenter, Michael Myers is nondescript. He He's basically an animal with, with no feeling right. at all. And if you start to sympathize or act like he's the prey in this, then you take the mystique away from the character altogether, right. in my opinion. That would be horrible. Uh, way to, that's, uh, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. And Sean, I, I'm so glad you brought up Don't Breathe 2 for a second there because that was something that's been – we'll have to save that for another day. But I was uh, very confused about the direction of Don't Breathe 2. I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's even out yet. I don't know when it's coming out. Uh, very disappointed there's a sequel. I thought the original was perfect enough alone uh, as it was. I thought it was fantastic film. 
Uh, but I did not understand why they were trying to make him uh, sort of be the good guy. They did. That's yeah. exactly what they did, man. And and it just turned me off because this guy raped his – he assaulted his woman. He raped his, this girl uh, in the first one. Like, mm-hmm. uh, in this movie, man. Don't even don't even come out with a sequel. I don't, I don't need it. I don't need another movie. We don't need it. Um, and definitely don't make one where this guy is the goddamn antagonist, man. Are you, are you kidding me, man? It was just awful stuff, man. Yeah, so, yeah, I completely agree. And and speaking of awful stuff, guys, the protagonist. Talk- I should say, I'm sorry, not the antagonist, the protagonist. But- <laughs> yeah, Michael Bay is, is notorious for doing that as well. Sorry, sorry, Kyle. <laughs> no problem, guys. Speaking of awful stuff, let's talk about the Scream franchise. Yay! <laughs> just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> as everyone knows, the new Scream movie is coming out January. Second? Was it second? I, I think it's the first week of or no 14th. Now I remember because it was the day before my birthday. January 14th, the new screen movie comes out. Fellas, I know nothing about it. I also am disappointed in the release date. It makes no sense to me. Um, if you were gonna plan this movie, I don't know why you're releasing it in the dead of winter. Um you think it should have been around this time? Absolutely. Unless they were afraid of going up against the Halloween that's franchise. Exactly what they were afraid of. Yeah, that's, exactly th- that's that's the only thing oh, I can think also, of. Also, Dune. Dune is uh, in, what, seven days? Oh, Dune. So, I, forgot, I completely yeah. forgot about it. So they completely pushed it out there. Like, we're not dealing with any of those movies. Yep. Even though this is a horror movie, we're going to push it out to January. We're going to deal with January. Um, Sean, I'm starting off with you, sir. Let me get your thoughts on Scream, whatever number it is at this point. I, I don't even think it's a number. I think it's like a, um, they're just they're just going with Scream. <laughs> um, and which is which is fine, which is a good, it's always a good sign that they, they didn't just do like Scream Five or Scream Six or you know whatever. But uh, I think Matt Bedinelli Open and Tyler Gillett. Uh, so we got so we go we got a duo here that's bringing this together. And uh, and I don't have anything against dual directors. Dual directors did a, a good job with uh, the cine- the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Of course, Winter Soldier, Endgame, all, all that stuff. Um, uh, dual directors did a good job with the bad boys three um you know so I, I don't have anything against dual directors um but you know when it when it comes to dual directors on, on certain uh genres you know and you know i, I kind of get nervous especially when it comes to horror um uh, matt bettinelli open and tyler gillett i believe um both have given us quality horror films uh such as like a like the devils do i i believe uh ready or not uh two years ago ready or not uh that uh the horror film about a newlywed who's hunted by her spouse's family as part of a wedding night ritual. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, That's if pretty good. Yeah, if you haven't peeped that yet, it is excellent. Also, uh, I, uh, Matt Bell- uh, Bellinelli Open, he's also a major writer, curator, collaborator for the for the Southbound Horror Anthology film back in 2015. If you haven't peeped that, please do so. It's on Hulu and, and Amazon Prime. Um, so yeah, so you know, a young, fresh, creative duo, probably hungry to solidify themselves in the horror genre. I'm I'm expecting something different because why give us more of the same in, in this franchise? This is what I was saying about Halloween. Um, we've had four, five, four or five screams already. Wes Craven, uh, you know, gave us four or five screams in this franchise, giving us more of the same and skipping out on the creativity can't be good for the screen brand or franchise. It'll run people sideways on these directors who are looking to solidify themselves in the horror genre. I can't stress that. I can't stress this point enough. Giving us more of the same of what we had in the previous four uh, entries of this franchise is awful business, man. Like it's truly awful, and the critics will shred this apart. If it, again, it's good to see the old cast back, and 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 that alone will bring in the nostalgic views from the dieharders. 
you know, I was a fan. I, I, I enjoyed maybe the first two. The additional sequels I did not care for. I, I believe I remember a report a few years ago that said Wes Craven himself was like reportedly miserable after making the sequels. Um, it, it, there was fatigue in those those uh, sequels, and it showed. Like it really showed. Like enough. Like can these new fresh filmmakers hurdle over that fatigue and and reinvent the franchise? I, I I'll put it this way: uh, when I heard that there was an it remake. I wasn't happy about it. Andres Muschetti um, pumped fresh energy into that remake. I thought it was a brilliant remake, like you know. But when I first heard about it, I, I didn't think it was necessary. So now, Scream isn't a quote-unquote remake, but it is a quote sequel. But the same concept kind of applies here. If you're trying to pull in fans of something that's been done before without giving us the same things. Um, you know, and, and risking more fatigue, um, especially during a time in which theaters are struggling to stay afloat. That's, you know, if, if you're trying to just pump more of the same into it without giving us something fresh, giving us something new, give, energizing the franchise a little bit, um, what are you doing? Uh, the, the trailer didn't reveal mu much, which is always a good thing, but I am hoping for fresh energy from these young creatives so we can we can get a few more. That's the only way we'll get more if, if there's, you know... If 2018 Halloween uh, re-entry was more of the same, did not give us, uh, you know, a fresh look, did not do well, uh, we would not be getting this movie tomorrow. And that's just a fact. Um, so here's the thing. We want more from these fresh uh, uh, creators. You know, they, they're going to have to, they're going to have to switch it up. And I think Dan said something the other day um, that, that kind of stuck out to me a little bit and that I'm concerned about. And uh, and I'll let Dan go more into it, uh, but I, I'm I'm afraid that there's going to be a, a quote unquote twist in this film that's just going to be so lackluster, man. Like it's just going to be so mid. Like it's just you know it's gonna be like really you know. And I'll let Dan go into that, but I, I, we I don't want that. I don't want that. You know, you're young, you're fresh creator, so we can get a, you know you need to do do more so we can get a few more. You know, who doesn't love going to the theaters to watch really good horror films? Like like I'm with Kyle here. I would have loved for this to be a Halloween as time frame uh, uh, release here, uh, releasing it in the dead of winter. Yeah, you know, you know, oh, I don't like it too much, but it is what it is. Um, maybe around that time, maybe we won't be dealing with so much. Maybe the number, the COVID numbers will be down. So it'll be a little bit more energy then. We don't know. You know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, I, I would have rather it be, uh, you know, Halloween as time frame film, just to, you know, just to make it a little bit more um, mood-esque, so on and so forth. But I am looking forward to it. I, 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 I'm, I'm not, quote unquote, excited about it. You know, I'm not, I'm not happy. I can do without it. You, you know, I, I don't need it, uh, but I, I'll check it out. I, I'll, I'll, I'll peep it. And and hopefully what I see re-energizes me, you know, and that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just don't know what I just don't know what else they can do. And that's why it's sometimes refreshing when we get these young creative minds that come in here and they try to do something different. Right. Uh, but we'll see. Dan, I'd love to get your thoughts as the horror king over there. Oh, you're, you're very kind. Uh, no, you know, I, I agree with Sean. You know, um, let's see here. I think one of the things that that is really, uh, I guess, that has me a little bit hopeful and excited is that Kevin Williamson is back for this one. And, you know, Kevin Williamson, I don't know, to be completely honest, the extent of, of what he did with the screenplay here. But, you know, he wrote the first one 
uh, the first Scream. You know, he wrote pretty much every teen drama I grew up on, including Vampire Diaries, Dawson's Creek. You know, he gets um, what he did with the first one, mixing teen sensibilities and like that John Hughes type of of environment with the horror genre was groundbreaking. And that's why the first one, in my opinion, is so uh, and it's also very self-aware. That's why it's, it's so uh, it is. amazing. And, you know, the rest of them, in my opinion, were really bad. Two was was OK. Three was awful. And they even say that because they had to rewrite um, the entire thing. And it, it just and it, it was just terrible. Um, four was whatever. Uh, and I just don't I'm with you guys. I really don't see how you know what kind of reveal would be um would catch me off guard would catch the audience off guard would be exciting um you know there's talk that that stew um is still alive he was supposed to be in the third one apparently uh before it got rewritten you know but now i don't think they're they're gonna go that route because it's you know that kind of leaked out you know years ago for the third one but uh, and it doesn't make any sense but it's like you know, you're going to have another family member of, uh, you know, one of the main characters, which it's not going to be because they revealed in the trailer, you know, they made that joke, which means it's probably not going to be. But like, who else could it possibly be? Um, I, I don't know. And, the you more, know, that. go ahead, John. The more you talk about it, the more I realize we just don't need this film, man. Like, I yeah, mean, yeah. it's just the more you talk about it, the more, you know, and, and again, like, like you mentioned the other day, you know. God forbid they do something stupid like make Nev Campbell's uh character be the the you know ghost face. Man, it's just I can see I I, I can see something so asinine like just or like David Arquette. He was the mastermind yeah, behind yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, just so lackluster with the the twist and I I just don't you know I, I hope they prove me wrong. I really want them to prove me wrong. And again. Bringing in, you know, young creative, uh, young minds um, for these uh, these films, it's always a good thing. So that's that's what's giving me hope. That's what gave me hope with Bad Boys Three, and 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 they came through. The directors on that film came through. It was a good film. Um, so it's 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 always it's always a risk. But the more we talk about it, the more we 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 have to accept the fact that why do this like why why do this yeah. why not give us something new something else uh, why not you know give us a, a fresh script a fresh cr- screenplay of a, a totally different horror film like why do this you know yeah. and it's like okay since you since you have done this what are you giving us you know what what, what are you going to give us that we didn't get in 1996 and 2002 and all this like, what, what are you, <laughs> you know, like and I, I i'm i'm but man, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm, 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 I'm just not expecting much. I'm yeah. not. It has yeah. to be bigger than the reveal, in my opinion. Like, mm-hmm. like, like the, the actual point of the movie and and what they're delivering has to be bigger than who's under the mask. I, I will say that watching this, whoever is whatever they're doing with Ghostface, seems a lot more violent in the trailer. I mean, he's like stomping on people's legs and and really going in on them. He seems angrier. Um, in one point in the trailer, he goes, Sydney, you know, it's an honor. So like, it, it's really interesting to see um, what, how they're going to attack this, but, you know, just seeing the cast come back and, you know, the dialogue in the trailer made me cringe. Yeah. You know, like Dewey's going through the rules. Dewey's not supposed to be the horror movie rule guy. He's supposed to be like the dumb cop. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's just, 
they're just going too far away from what made the movie so awesome in the beginning. And I just don't know where there is to go. And so, and, so, and again, I just, I just want to repeat that again, when, when it, uh, when the it uh, franchise decided to, you know, have a, re- a rebirth, so on and so forth. Um, I kind of felt the same way. Like, what, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what can you do? Like, what can you do that we didn't already see with the, the, the first it film? Like, why do this? You know, we don't need this. I think I remember Sandals words. Like, we don't, we don't need this film. Um, but Andres pulled it up and he put his foot in it and he gave us something amazing. You know, this <laughs> and Dan nailed it. We already got cringy things happening in the trailer, man. Like we got old cast members coming back saying cringy things. We got Ghostface doing the same exact thing he did in part one. We, I mean, it's just, oh my gosh, like so much. So, you know, and again, it can all, it, again, it can all be meaningless. It can all be just the, the trailer, uh, you know, lowering expectations just to build everybody up and blow their minds away in, in a theater. Because again, just to be fair, and it, you know, we kind of got some of the same things that happened in the first one as well, too, even though Andres mixed it up a little bit. You know, he mixed it up. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we got this kind of the same things that, that happened in, in the original film. He just shifted it a little bit. So cautiously optimistic. Um, maybe there's another trailer that drops before uh, before it releases that goes a little bit deeper into it, so on and so forth. But I, I, I'm not, uh, also, I'm not a fan of, of horror films with with cringy comedic uh, overtones and, and cringy comedic of uh, uh, scripts and verbiage. I'm I don't like that. I don't like that. Now, more to Dan's point, the first one that 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 Dan said was uh, aware of itself, and I thought that was smart. I thought it was intelligent the way that script was written, um, the way that basically the the characters in that film was talking about themselves and, and the film itself. You know, you like that. You like films that are aware of themselves. So and and the tropes and calling out horror movie tropes that Absolutely. were never called out before. It was just Absolutely. so brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was a little bit ahead of its time, so on and so forth. Okay, so they've done that. Um, what else? What else? What else? You have, you know. Um, you, you know, we don't have anything um, of fantastical or origin here. This is this is all man-made stuff. This is this is a human killer, so on and so forth. So you can't go, you know, you can't go that route, um, so to speak. So you know, you, you got you have to get real bold and creative with that screenplay, since that's the case. And I just don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what to expect, but. Hopefully we get something fresh and 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 something that pumps new life into it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I go ahead, Dan. Sorry, no, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kyle. Go no, ahead. I was just gonna say I think this is kind of a a, a tell of American cinema as right now, where it's just right. we're, we're we're kind of in an area where uh, American filmmakers, you know, American films in general, uh, just they're they're just rehashing old ideas. Um, there's a lack of creativity. I mean, outside of Mike Flanagan, obviously. Um, that's why I, I'm. I'm I'm curious wh- why we're getting rehashes of these films. I, I d- I'm guessing they sell well, um, and I, I I just don't know. Like Scream to me was never a great franchise. Uh, never really cared about it. Uh, I just don't. I, I just don't have high expectations for this one as well. Um, and based on you guys speaking about it, I, again, I saw 
when I saw the name, like the reveal, right, and I heard that this was coming out, I says, for, for two things came to my mind. I was like, why do we need this, and why is this in January? Those are two things I happened. I still said, I said the same thing about the the new Halloween that's coming out tomorrow, right? I, I when I watched that first film, I was like, that's great, that's awesome. And then they were like, oh, we're doing another one. I was just like, but why? I don't. We don't need this. I don't need right. another Halloween. I don't need, you know, I don't. I don't need the same rehashes of films we've, you know, already gotten thirty sequels. Like if they can't, they announce another Friday the Thirteenth. I'm just gonna drive over to Hollywood and kick some door down, guys. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I've well, had Kyle, enough. Well, Kyle, like two, two, two points is one on on um, you know, spaces the other night, Sean. I think you hit it perfectly, and I, this is a victim of the nostalgia factor. We're in a we're in a, a a time period right now, and maybe you can blame Cobra Kai for this because they brought back a fresh take on something and right. they hit the nostalgia perfectly. Um, many Saints of Nor tried to do it and failed, um, and now you're seeing everybody reboot everything. But now instead of doing a fresh reboot, they're trying to bring back nostalgia pieces to draw in, um, you know, a larger crowd or the original crowd. And if you don't write it correctly, if you don't do it tastefully, it will fail miserably. Yep. 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 And I, and, and I agree with that too. So two points, just to uh, push back on what, what Kyle said, just to pay a little bit of devil's advocate here. The reason here, here's the thing. I don't, I don't like the, the rehashes and the, and the rebirths and, and all this crap from, from already solidified films. And all that. I, I think we, sh- we need to let it go, but here, here's the thing. And this is why I, I keep mentioning certain films. Um, I keep mentioning certain films like it and, and bad boys and, um, you know, other films that have successfully navigated around this issue right here. The idea is to bring these these films back, but to get fresh and creative vision on them. OK, that's what you're going for. That's the risk you're taking. You know, you when you when you you, you tell someone who directed um, Pineapple Express and your highness, hey, I want you to come direct a new Halloween film. You're looking for a new eye, a new creative vision. Uh, when 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 you tell you know uh, Andres Muschietti to come direct uh, it, um, this is what we're looking for. You know, to, you know, we're looking for fresh creative vision. I wouldn't be surprised to see someone pull the Russo brothers out and 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 give them a horror film to direct. It gives them a good fresh perspective. That's what you're going for when you bring these 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 films back in, in, into the eye um here um does it always work out it does not always work out would i do it no i, I no because i i believe in i believe in what we discussed earlier with with uh mike flanagan's uh, midnight mass give me something new man. give me something fresh give me something new um you know a scream five or whatever that's not going to move me even if it's a good film I'll just say it's a good thing. It's just not going to move me. Give me something that moves me. And this is what we discussed before. Um, I think a few months ago we discussed here on the pod the differences between um, theater and streaming platforms and the pros and cons of each. This is a pro of streaming platform. Streaming platforms get these creative um films, these these new fresh films, horror, drama, actually, it doesn't matter. Um, some are hit, some are missed, whatever. But the fact is they give creators an opportunity to drop these projects on these streaming platforms. You can't do the same thing with high-end production companies. You can't you can't take certain concepts to high-end production companies because they're always worried about what? The overhead. They're always worried about the backlash or the losing of the money, so on and so forth. So they can't 
put it, they won't put it in theaters, but you can take it to Netflix, you can take it to Amazon Prime. Um, you, you know, you can take it to Shutter, so on and so forth. You can take it to these streaming platforms and say, hey, here's the idea I have for a horror film. Obviously, if I take it to Universal, they don't think it's going to make enough money. So what do you want? They'll take it, you know, and that's oh, yeah. the difference. That's the same thing with the music industry. Nobody cultivates artists anymore because they want the quick single and they want the payday, you know, and, and right. you know, the streaming services would be comparable to like an indie label that will take a chance and, and let somebody grow. Absolutely. Um, and and yeah, you're totally right. Um, and Kyle, I just and for I just want to leave you guys with one thing before we hop off this topic. I know we're not hopeful. I agree with you guys and on all points, but if you want to kind of play devil's advocate here and, and have some hope scream one, um, nobody was talking about it. It, you know, it, it was uh, not anticipated at all. It had a misleading trailer with Drew Barrymore and it dropped in December and turned into a smash hit. So if you want to draw parallels to those three things with this film, maybe it'll surprise everybody. I doubt it, but you know, it, it won't. <laughs> I agree. And, and, and I agree. no, say it, it won't because it, it, you know we didn't know what to expect. It was a cult hit, and it was a cult hit for a reason. And you you mentioned those reasons earlier, Dan. The screenplay was just incredibly smart. It was witty. Um, it's hard to be consistently witty when it comes to horror films. Um, damn near impossible. So um, I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna say this: don't expect much from this film. Um, I expect it, and, and, and when we'll come back and revisit it. I'm, I'm expecting this to hover around 50% on, on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm expecting people to be torn about it, so on and so forth. I'm not expecting anything creative. I'm not expecting anything fresh. I want to be proven wrong. Mm -hmm. And this is what you get. This is the skepticism that you get when you do this. When you rehash the same shit over and over and over again, people are going to be skeptical. They're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Again, my only hope, as I said before, that I'm leaning on, is the fact that we don't have, like, it, you know, God rest his soul, if, if Wes Craven was directing this, you know, then I would be really upset about it, you know what I'm saying? But we have a fresh a mind, we have fresh takes on it, we have a fresh eye on it, we have someone that's, that's done this before. So, yeah, you know, that's the only hope I'm leaning on with this. That's the same thing where we can lean on with with Halloween, you know, and, and, and that's the same thing that we mentioned with, with Midnight Mass, you know, fresh creative takes uh, when it comes to, to the horror genre. And these production companies got decisions to make because they, they complained about and, and got, uh, you know, I, I love Christopher Nolan, but he, he isn't the only one, you know, other, other antiquated directors complain about streaming platforms entirely too much. But this is one of the reasons why streaming platforms are are so popular, because they give creatives this room to be creative when it comes to certain genres, you know, and horror is one of those genres that people love stepping out on. And again, we don't always see these things show up on the big screen and there's a reason for that. So. Uh, so just wanted to add on top of that, uh, Sean, I just happened to Google uh, the Metacritic reviews for Halloween kills right now. And it's sitting at a hot 42. Um, so I'm not expecting that to uh, resonate with anybody when they go see it in theaters, unfortunately. So um, again, just, just wanted to point that out because again, we were talking about, we need fresh creative minds. We need fresh creative, uh, you know, right. creators. Right. And um, I think cinema and, and, and TV shows, they're kind of the, the best forms of media that you can find, like, you know, and music. Right. And I think it gives a lot of people creative outlet. Um, and it, it, it entertains us all. And, and I I've been on, you know, record saying, I think attack on Titans, probably one of the best, 
um, stories you're going to find in, in, in media, but a lot of people shove it away because it's animated, right? So you have that kind of stuff, but um, kind of going back to, we just need more creative people. We just need more uh, thoughtful scripts and, and no more rehashes. Come up with something, come up with a new iconic character, right? right? We, we can definitely do an iconic character. I would consider the Midnight Mass Priest, right? I would consider that an iconic character. Yep. That's something that burns in my mind. Somebody that I feared and and and, and resented as the show went on, right? So I, I just want I want to see more of that. I just want to see more of that. I agree. Yeah. Any gentlemen, any closing thoughts before we move into the big bozo energy? No, no, we can go ahead. Yeah, no, this was a good, good discussion. This yeah. is a great. This is why I love yeah. having you know both of you on because I feel like it just it just has it's very nurtured conversation. It's it's generic and it's 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 well thought out and it it, it allows me to expand my mind too when we talk right. about it. Because Sean, I I you know I think you're a brilliant mind, Dan. I think you're also a brilliant mind, right? Like I think just collaborating here, it's, it's fantastic for Absolutely. and I, I I hope the listeners are yeah. are loving this, right? Like that that's that's really you know what it comes down to. But gentlemen, I'd like to move in to the big bozo energy segment. Um, I'm going to go last. I want to let my guests go first. We'll just go in alphabetical order. Dan, take it away, sir. What is your big bozo energy of the week? Oh, man. You know, John Gruden's too easy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like, I was hoping somebody would take it, but I feel like this is too big of a, a thing. I'm not going to pick him, uh, but I'm going to pick uh, just the collection of um, folks, if you will, that that feel the need to um, defend him at every turn uh, online, you know, I mean, it, you know, Derek Hart said something, I think it was today or something like that. He's like, I love the man. I hate the sin. And that is just a, a, a you know, it's a statement that really encapsulate uh, encapsulates the entire um, crew of people that decide to just, um, look, you know, look away from what John Gruden did, or, or dismiss it as as a sin. This man did this for decades. This is not a sin. This is who he was. This is the man that you're talking about. And and you know, people show as as the kids like to say, they show their ass when um, you know they they can't even control their own impulses and go online and just you know either bring up somebody else's um, indiscretions or or feel the need to. Um, to, to defend some heinous stuff. And it, we see this time and time again, and this is just another example of, uh, you know, the divisive society we live in. I know that sounds kind of like a, uh, a diatribe or whatever, but, you know, it's a sad thing. It's something that, you know, we've observed for a while. And uh, yeah, anybody who feels the need to defend somebody who says shit like that right. um, are bozos every day of the week, not just this week. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, just to follow up on that, you know, the Chargers head coach had a wonderful statement about that. Everything he said, um, everyone should be echoing. Um, and he laid it out there for Derek Carr, and Derek Carr still missed the layup. He still missed the layup. Hate, uh, love the man, hate the sin. Go to hell, Derek Carr, with that bullshit, man. That's all I say. But my my bozo energy of the week, obviously, I don't know if I'm still in Kyle's or not, but you know, there's room for a, a double teaming here when it comes to um, this one, just in case. But um, um, Kyrie Irving, of course, um, um, he is is trying to place himself on the the martyr uh, mantle, and like he's becoming a martyr or something for this decision not to get vaccinated and 
it's just bringing out the worst and everybody, every idiot, every politician that wants to politicize this, they are a attaching themselves to his decision and making him out to be some sort of martyr, making it seem like it's it's some sort of right to choose what to do with the body, so on and so forth. And again, he chose. He has to live with the consequences of this choice. The Nets also chose, so on and so forth. It's that simple. The false equivalencies and the and and the false statements um, it's all so asinine, and I'm so sick of the big bozo energy for me goes to Kyrie Irving forever. He is such an idiot for this on, in every way, uh, and, and the bozos behind him or under him that are supporting him, they are just as the big, biggest bozos as him. You know, I, I understand why it wasn't, but I, I, I kind of wish this vaccine was mandated from the beginning. You know, the choice gave too many people a soapbox and, and false belief that they're they're freedom fighters. You know, the the reaction would have been so different. If the rollout was basically, hey, this is a requirement to work instead of please take this to help your, you know, your fellow citizen. Nobody cares about anybody but themselves anymore. You know, and, and, and the thing is, he's showing that, but he's trying to make it about something that is not. And it's just big bozo energy all around. Um Get the shot. Protect not just yourself. If you don't do it for yourself, do it for the people around you. Do it for the people you care about. Why make it to something that it isn't just because you can? And just for, and that's what Dan just said. We're such a divisive society, but it always seems like we're always quote unquote divisive. But when you look at what we're divided about, it's always one group of people that's always, always behind and supporting the same exact things. Always. Always the same people that are supporting Kyrie's decision to do this and, and put himself on a menace to become a martyr are the same people that has gone through the past five years to, to do their best to try to harm this country in every way possible. I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. I'll speak my mind on it, but I really, really hate it. He's a big bozo for this Kyrie Irving. I, I honestly, you said that so perfectly. And I, I also want to highlight kind of, um, the undertones of both of your big bozos highlight really what Mike Flanagan was doing with Midnight Mass. And I think right. we should all uh, take note of that. And now I want to say my big bozo and, you know, it's not a layup, right? I'm not going to say John Gruden, but I really want to call out the NFL here um, because this this stuff was going on uh, for a long time. This was stemming from the um, Washington football team's uh, investigation. Uh, this was going on a long time. People knew about this. There had to be, you know, people in the know, right? And this is, you know, even ESPN had to know uh, John Gruden was a, a mess. And there, there, these people that kind of put it under the rug allowed it to continue instead of catching it then. Um, I think everyone involved that didn't say anything is a big bozo, in my opinion. And that might be an easy layup for, for people who are listening to this, but I think we need to start holding humans accountable. Um, for their actions. Um, this, this man, the guy who had a God, God complex, um, I think he, he didn't, didn't think he could be stopped. And I think that's, that's kind of the theme with a lot of people who, who just kind of say, you know, vile things uh, about other human beings. I think in this life, we have to learn to love and respect and, and appreciate other opinions as much as we can. But uh, when it turns into something that's, you know, hateful, uh, spewing terrible rhetoric, uh, just misinformation, I think that's when we get into a, a position of failing as a as a society. Um, so that that's my big bozo is is just potentially the entire uh, NFL as a whole that just let this and just just follow up with that. Mm -hmm. um, shouts out to um, 
the Chargers um, head coach Brandon Staley, man, um, because he didn't just give a, a you know he just he just didn't give a a, a statement. Uh, he he made sure not to focus on Gruden, and instead focus on the people that Gruden went after in his emails. And I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Don't. All this, hey, I love the guy. I mean, he could have went up there and said, you know, I, re- I respect John Gruden or I looked up to him and he's such a, you know, I've always, you know, always admired the way he coached. And, hey, it's just, you know, he could have went up there and did that silly ass mm-hmm. shit. But instead of doing that, he went, hey, my mind today is on the people that was on this, in these emails. That's it. Um, you know, trust. He, trust is impossible to gain. It's impossible and difficult um, to, to gain trust. Not just, you know, in the NFL, but in life in general, but especially in the NFL as, as a head coach, as a white head coach, and you, you're coaching uh, black players, you're coaching uh, homosexual players, you, 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 you have women on your staff. You have to navigate that thing very tediously, and they have to be able to trust you. They can't be side-eyeing you, like what's in his email, so on and so forth. And he spoke eloquently. He put it all in perspective. He gave everyone a blueprint on what to say and how to say it. Let's just see who misses the layup, like Derek Carr. Derek Carr missed the layup. Let's just see who else falls in line and, and misses the layup. That's, again, well said, Sean. Like, you've been you've been nailing it this whole night, my man. Yeah, like, man. <laughs> so, again, guys, I, I really appreciate you both coming on. I know we were short-staffed tonight, but you guys both came in the clutch. I, I can't tell you guys enough how much I appreciate you guys hopping on. Um, at a moment's notice. And, and we, I think we had some fantastic discussions tonight. Um, and I hope our listeners find that the same. Uh, you guys can catch the rest of the Ascension Podcast Network starting on Mondays with All In with Kevin, Wednesdays with the Middle Initial Podcast with Kevin A. Lewis, Jude A. Jackson, and Andrew L. Case. And then we follow it up on Sometimes Thursdays, sometimes Fridays here at the podcast. No one asked for. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Good night. Good night. Peace.